Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So what's the latest on Antonio Brown, and why haven't the Bucks re-signed quarterback Blaine Gabbert yet? Is Kevin Palau just keeping the bench warm for Wander Franco? And should we be worried about the Bolts and their backup goaltender? We've got all your mailbag questions answered 100% correctly on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Before we get started with today's podcast in our mailbag segment, the ever-popular mailbag segment, uh, I had the chance to attend the Rays game tonight. In full disclosure, we recorded the mailbag segment on Monday afternoon. So a couple news stories broke uh, in the interim between the now and then. And Rick will get into more of it with Tom Jones tomorrow night, but I thought I'd update on the podcast in case you hadn't heard. Uh, first of all, Tyler Glasnow was absolutely filthy on Monday night. Went seven and two-thirds innings, 102 pitches, Two hits, one walk, 14 strikeouts. The innings and the strikeouts, a career high for him. Uh, He had all three pitches working. The Rangers were really no match for him. Was taken out in the eighth inning through seven and two-thirds innings. He petitioned a little bit to Kevin Cash to stay in, but at 102 pitches on the 10th game of the season, only his third start, probably the right move for the Rays. Although, you know, he says he was ready to keep going and, and wanted to at least get through that eighth inning. Um, yet there was still a runner on at that point. So, but Cody Reed came in, got the uh, ground out on the next uh, next batter, and then Diego Castillo, a little rocky in the ninth, but closed it out for a one nothing win for the Rays. But Tyler Glass now absolutely filthy. Willie Adamas a solo shot was the only run that the Rays were able to to uh, scratch together, and and the the Rangers pitchers were were dealing too. They were really good as well. So Rays bats scuffling a little bit, but when you got Tyler Glass now on the mound. They didn't have to score very many. They scored just enough, one nothing. So uh, he looked good. Though the Rays and Rangers will play game two again tonight. It's a four game series at the Trop. Uh, also, the Bucks signed a running back, Giovanni Bernard from the Cincinnati Bengals, who was released last week. Um, he's, uh, well, I think he's been in the NFL nine years, if I recall, off the top of my head. Um, and being a Bengals fan, I'm familiar with him. the The thing that really intrigues you about him is one, they've already signed Leonard Fournette and have Ronald Jones. But what does the Giovanni Bernard do very well? Catch the football. And we know that last year, Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones both struggled with that. And, and we know how much in Tom Brady's career he has relied on running backs catching the ball. James White comes to mind right away and many others. That, that outlet for Tom Brady, short, and having a running back that can catch the ball and, and be another receiver for him is very important and, and can only make Tom Brady even more dangerous than he was last year when, of course, he won the Super Bowl. So Giovanni Bernard signs a one-year deal with the, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The reports are Tom Brady and Bruce Arians uh, personally were recruiting him to come here. Um, so he, you know, he's from Fort Lauderdale, went to St. Thomas Aquinas, Played uh, college football at, at North Carolina. Has been in the NFL for nine years. Been a very productive back in Cincinnati. I think I saw a stat, and I, I can't find out right now. But in the last, I don't know how many years, five, six, or eight years, whatever it is, for running backs, he's caught the third most passes out of the backfield. So um, it's just another weapon for this offense and Tom Brady. And, and, and someone on the offense that does something a little different, a running back who is, is a decent runner, but more he's a better back out of the backfield to catch the ball. Your third down back, your that kind of stuff. I mean, the Bengals had Joe Mixon, which was their primary runner, and then Giovanni Bernard's kind of a versatile back that uh, did a lot. So uh, the Bucks had another weapon. Rick and Tom will talk about this on tomorrow's podcast, I'm sure. I had a chance to uh, to look at you know Twitter and Gerald McCoy. Um, who we know is you know recovering from that quad injury that knocked him out last season. He got hurt for the Dallas Cowboys on the first day of pads. It was really uh, very unfortunate for him to say the very least. But you know McCoy um, tweeted out sort of how much he misses football, and this has sort of been a theme you know for him uh, during this period. Of course, he's unsigned 
there was a period a month ago where he talked about how he would love to come back to Tampa, how, you know, he's uh, sort of mended the fences with Jason Light and all the guys. And uh, there was, you know, it was mutual agreement that they separated back in 2019. Of course, since then, and Domicon Sue has re-signed another one-year deal. like his third third contract with the Bucks. And I think for McCoy, you know, nothing's going to happen. I talked to his agent, Ben Dogra, and he said that, you know, there are some teams that are inquiring about how, how Gerald's health is going and also, you know, how much he wants to play if, he's, if he wants to continue playing, which he does. And so, you know, it's so close to the NFL draft that, you've seen that free agency has has virtually shut down because now teams have to focus on what's going to happen at the end of April. And, you know, depending on how the draft comes out, you may have uh, an opening for a defensive tackle or a wide receiver, or you may not. And so I don't think anybody's going to sign these secondary free agents, guys coming off injuries and such like a Gerald McCoy until after the draft. But there are from what I understand and talking to Ben Doger, there are some teams that are sort of, you know, monitoring him, uh, keeping tabs on him. And from what I understand, the uh, rehab is going very, very well. I mean, he's he's in tremendous shape. The question is, Steve, and I, I, I think this, this goes to, you know, a lot of people, I don't know why, but Gerald was, was we've gone, we've done the Gerald McCoy show, right, where for some reason um, – because they lost all those seasons, you know, he came in here in 2010 when they had no veterans on the defensive line, no veterans on defense in general, and they were bad football teams, and he never made it to the playoffs. Well, you know who else didn't make it to the playoffs until this year? Levante David. And most people think Levante David is a pretty damn good player. In fact, the Bucks just gave him their, you know, his third contract, okay? Mm-hmm. You could have Mike Evans in that. Mike Evans, too. same category, right? And we knew they were good players. I mean, Gerald went to six pro bowls okay and two of the nine years he was here he was injured okay so so if you count the years he played he went to six pro bowls in seven seasons where he wasn't injured so that's a pretty good track record he was he he, you know this is the league voting on him players fans and coaches Mm -hmm. so for whatever you know they didn't win and then everybody was like get him out of here and okay sue comes in and, and and obviously um the defense has done well under todd bowles who i give you know the lion's share of the credit for but they've done a good job, and you know Sue has played pretty well, and he fits mm-hmm. this defensive scheme. And I, I just don't think they thought it was a fit with Gerald. Gerald went to Carolina, didn't have a particularly great year. Uh, the Panthers had a had a had a bad season. They split with the Bucks um, that year. You know, in two thousand and uh, would have been two thousand nineteen. But you know, then he goes to Dallas, and on the first day of uh, pads, he gets hurt. But you know, he's made. Here is the thing: he's made over a hundred and twenty million dollars in his career. So for anybody that thinks that Gerald needs a job, <laughs> uh, no, he's, he's 33 years old. He could easily walk away. Look, his son um, recently signed with uh, to go to his alma mater at Oklahoma to play wide receiver. So he could spend plenty of fall Saturdays and, and you know, uh, be in Oklahoma and all of that. Still lives here in Tampa, splits his time here in Tampa, obviously. Um, but he, he wants to play in the NFL. And, he, and his, his tweet showed – sort of the passion he has. He just said, you know, man, I, you know, I really miss the NFL. Like he misses football. And, you know, when it's been such a part of your life for so long, the other thing is I think guys like him um, that have been so successful, I don't think that, you know, no one goes out on their own terms, but he certainly doesn't want to go out that way. He doesn't want to be hurt. Right. So he said, missing the game, plenty of more work to be done. But, man, really got that itch. At NFL, appreciate the NFL replay. That's where you can go back and look at games of other teams. He says, I've been able to watch a lot of film. This league is so full of so, is full of so many gifted players. I can't wait to be a part of it again one day at a time. And then he had the prayer hands. So he's, you know, look, he's got to be nervous. Um, there comes a point where maybe the phone doesn't ring as much. You're an injured player. You're 33 years old. Uh, there's no tape of you for over a year. You know, but we know um, the value of, of good defensive linemen, even veteran defensive linemen. Where would the Bucks have been last year, for example, when Vita Vea went out and, and, and until, they, until they made the trade for Stevie McClendon with, you know, um, with the New York Jets? Like he was a huge player in this thing. Uh, you know, uh, Raheem Nunez Roaches. I mean, those guys really had to hold the fort down next to Sue. So injuries are, are a part of any team and you want depth. You'd love to have veteran depth. Maybe he can start for some team that's not very good on the defensive line or has young defensive linemen. 
Um, we'll see, you know, we'll see what, what happens, but, uh, yeah, Gerald McCoy, pretty passionate about wanting to play. The other thing is the Tampa Bay Lightning made another trade. What is this? What is, what is Breeze, Breezebois doing here, man? Yeah, well, they uh, traded for Frederick Clayson from San Jose. He's a left-handed shot defenseman. He's been on their taxi squad. He's played a couple games this year. I think he's played well, he's played over 100 games in his NHL career. Uh, so they traded for him. They gave up a goaltender prospect who's still in college, Magnus Krona, uh, to the Sharks. So Clayson's coming in to be on the taxi squad. That gives the Lightning 11 defensemen now with NHL experience. So on the left side, let's see if I can run through them here. You've got Hedman and McDonough and Sergachev. That's your starting three on the left side. You've also got Andreas Borgman. You've got uh, Clayson now. Am I missing someone on the left side? Um, Let's see. No, Calfoot's right. Uh, So your right side, you've got Calfoot. You've got Ben Thomas. You've got... Luke Shen, you've got David Savard, you've got Eric Chernak, and you've got Jan Ruda. Hmm. So you now have 11 defensemen. If you remember last year, the Lightning used nine defensemen in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, so this year now they have 11 with NHL experience. Now, Cal Foote, of course, this is his first year playing in the NHL. Ben Thomas, only a handful of games at this point. But they have played in the NHL. So as you're going into the playoffs, you now have five top four defensemen with the addition of David Savard, and you've got 11 defensemen on your roster or available to you that have NHL experience. So, uh, you know, Julian Brisebois just adding to the depth on this team, um, you know, much like we talked last year for the Bucks, and it was the same way for the Lightning, they're in it to win it this year. Yeah. I mean, they're pulling every lever they can to get enough players and depth on this team to make a long run again. Yeah, I mean, the time is now. It's clear that, at least we know this, that they feel if, if they have a weakness or if there's an area too shore up, it is the defensive side in front of Vasilevsky. I mean, Vasilevsky gives them such an advantage over so many teams already, um, but but certainly they don't need him making, you know, 35, yep. 40 saves a game. And um, so if you can mm-hmm. shore that up. And, and they're, they're deep. They're going to be deep now yep. because you've got guys like Jan Ruda hadn't come back yet. I mean, they've, they've got a lot of defensemen now. Mm-hmm. And then on the offensive side, Alex Barry Boulay recalled to the taxi squad and Mitchell Stevens called up from Syracuse. He's been down there for the last mm-hmm. four games on a conditioning stint. So he's been called back up to the club. So uh, he, it's possible he could play tomorrow night or, or tonight, actually, or taping some Monday, but uh, tonight or, you know, maybe he's back on this homestand starting Thursday. Yeah. Well, it's look, I, I you know, they're down to about 15 games or so um, before the uh, end of the regular season. And then, you know, the playoffs much like last year, that's that's really all that matters to the Lightning. They know they're going to make it. They know they have a good hockey team. So we'll see if they can go back-to-back, which is hard to do. You'd love to see them go deep so that the the fans, the few fans that can go in there, maybe that'll open up as we get further into the postseason. We don't know. But, um, yeah, it's it, it, they're, they got to get Stamkos back, obviously, is hurt. If you get Kucherov, I mean, that's – I mean, the, the prospect of getting a <laughs> – an MVP in this league, practically in in Nikita Kucherov, if if he's healthy and able to go. Somebody asked this question, and I I don't know the answer to it, Steve. When he comes back, he will not have played many or any games, assuming he's able to be eligible for the postseason. Well, he's How, eligible. I mean, he's on the roster. He's on the roster, but I mean, so. I mean, let's say he's cleared physically to play. I mm-hmm, mean, mm-hmm. so if he's cleared physically to play, but has not played. Um, in, in virtually a year, uh, or at least missed this regular season, mm-hmm. how sharp could he be? In other words, is there enough muscle memory, assuming he's healthy, and they wouldn't put him on the ice otherwise, that he will fall right into some of the roles that he's always played and, and we won't notice a, an appreciable uh, drop-off? I think you'll notice the first few games he won't be everything you think. I mean, you know, on the power play, is he going to be just as effective? Probably. I mean, you know, right. he's already starting to skate now. I mean, it's it's a hip exactly. injury, so it's it's going to take a while. Um, but you know, when how, that physical part, when he's over that hurdle. How he does with contact, mm-hmm. um, how his body, you know. I mean, we always talk about there's there's in shape and then there's game shape. That's right. That's right. You know, and so, you know, is the first, do, you know, do you expect him to come out and be on the number one line and, and play 20 minutes in the first night back? I doubt that. Um, you know, do they, you know, ease him in a little bit? Maybe he's playing on a, on a line that gets a little less minutes or he takes a few shifts off here and there. I mean, I, th- I guess it depends on him and his body. I mean, if you remember, Braden Point had the same surgery 
uh, going into I think it was uh, last season. Going into uh, last year, into yeah. the not the restart, but the original season, mm-hmm. and he missed about five months. Well, the first five or six games, he wasn't a hundred percent himself, and and, and it, really, you could have said even a, a couple months into it, right? Um, he didn't quite have that quite burst of speed. He didn't. You know, I mean, he was good, but it wasn't the Braden point you you knew. And as the season went on, he got better and stronger and faster. And, you know, I mean, this is a hip injury. So, you know, you spent several months not moving it a lot, not skating. You know, it's one thing if you you had an upper body injury, but you could skate the whole time. Well, that's not what happened. You know, so uh, do I expect him to be 100 percent when he comes back? No, I mean, I expect him to be healthy and, and, and good enough to go. I mean, the, like you said, the medical staff wouldn't put him out there if, if he wasn't. But, you know, are you going to expect him to pick up right where he left off in the playoffs last year? You know, where he almost won the con Smythe? Yeah, no, I I you don't know. think he'll do that. But but he's going to be, I mean, he's going to make, he's going to be an impactful player. Look, mm-hmm. and this is not a great analogy. I know it's a totally different sport and, and it, it's, it's a poor because there's no, you know, this guy was not defensive player of the year, but getting Vita Vea back when the Bucks did for the postseason mm-hmm. was huge. And I would, I will, I would be willing to say, um, right now, based on watching the Green Bay game, which was very close, by the way, as you know, if Aaron Rodgers runs it in mm-hmm. for a touchdown instead of them kicking a field goal, no. maybe we're not talking about the Bucks winning the Super Bowl. By the but, way, did you see the troll job on Jeopardy? When Aaron Rodgers hosted, I don't think we ever mentioned that. Oh yeah, the where the guy, the guy deliberately decided to answer the question wrong because he didn't he had, know the he answer. Had, he had well, he had no shot to win. He was way behind. He was a two time defending champion, but had but had no shot to win. In he the wagered Final zero. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So his his question was, who wanted to kick that field goal? <laughs> I know, completely cracked up Rodgers, which was funny. He goes, that is the question, by the way. He goes, I I don't have an answer. Um, it was perfect. But uh, but but via Vea, you know, without him coming back, it was a, it was a you know I've talked to Jason Light NBA about this when they realized that he was actually going to be a go and not just just not just able to be out there, but actually impact the game um, because they had seen him work out and they'd see him run and stuff. They were doing backflips over there, like their confidence rose so high uh, at the Bucks that it was incredible. You can see how well they played on defense, and they were becoming a a, a confident team anyway. Um, but when you watch Vita Bay in that Green Bay game, do you think, I don't think he had a stat. I don't think he recorded a single stat. They put him in on passing downs. He absolutely created double teams and pushed the pocket so much that we saw Shaq Barrett and JPP draped all over Aaron Rodgers beating one-on-ones. And without him, I don't think they do it. So Kucherov is obviously a much better player in the grand scheme of the NHL, mm-hmm. obviously, than, than Vita Bay was. But to get a player of that caliber back for a postseason on a team that's already got – the best or has been the best, you know, had the best record pretty much, uh, you know, in their conference all year. I mean, that is not a small deal. That is a huge deal. Well, that's, that's the whole thing is, is okay. So this trade deadline, you acquired David Savard, probably the best defenseman that was on the trading block. If, if not the best, one of the top two or three coveted defensemen, you figured out a way to make that work. And then you're going to get the best offensive player anyone acquires at the trade deadline. Back for the playoffs, assuming his rehab continues to progress the way it is. So you're adding to the team that's right now in second place and one of the top five in the NHL. You're adding David Savard, and then you're going to add Nikita Kucherov come the playoffs. You know, outside the Colorado Avalanche, there's no roster in in hockey that's that matches the Lightning. Now you still got to do it on the ice. You still got to play. You don't know what injuries and everything else is going to happen. Um, I think Vegas is trying to get their roster there, but I mean, I think Colorado's roster is loaded. Um, there, I think it's you know, it's early to say because you'll see how Savard and all the trades that are happening, you know, how those players will fit in. But you could easily see a Colorado Lightning final, which would be phenomenal. By the mm. way, the amount of skill on the ice between those two teams would just be incredible for hockey. Um, long way to go to get there, and, and you know, you don't know what's going to happen injury wise and how other players that are being traded are going to fit in and, and all that stuff. So, um, but if, for, for hockey, it would be a great final if it was Colorado lightning. Uh, it'd be, it'd be incredible. They, they would do well and and take their chances if they make it all the way to the Stanley cup. So uh, they got a road to do that before, but yeah, pretty, pretty interesting uh, situation there. So let's, uh, let's get to these questions. I know we got, uh, we got a few here in the mailbag and uh, I'll see if I can answer all of them. Of course, 100% guaranteed. All right. Well, we'll start with the box and King Lewis asked, 
We haven't heard anything about Antonio Brown and the Bucks anymore. Any news? Well, if there was, we would have printed it, I assure you. Um, there isn't anything going on that, that I'm aware of as we as we do this podcast now. That can change. As you know, it's a very fluid NFL, fluid situation. But as I mentioned earlier, um, at this juncture, we are just you know a few weeks away from the NFL draft. Pretty much every team in the NFL, with the exception of very few, I mean, I think I saw where Jadavion Clowney uh, is probably will have signed or is close to signing with the Cleveland Browns. So there's a few free agents, um, you know, still matriculating into into camps. But for the most part, um, your your front offices, your general managers, your pro player personnel guys, your scouts, they're all meeting uh, about the draft. You know, the focus now has to be on the NFL draft. You've got to evaluate all these players. You have to run through all the scenarios. It's not as as, as it's not as many scenarios, you know, now that they're picking thirty second uh, as as say in the top ten, which they which they typically do. So you know they're not doing a ton of mock drafts and things like that. But um, they are evaluating players. They're interviewing players on Zoom. They're they're trying to find out as much about these guys as they can. And you know, keep in mind too that the draft changes needs and. In as much as we know the Bucks have a lot of receivers, and we talked about that, you know, they they franchise Chris Godwin. Obviously, Mike Evans is back. You know, you've got uh, Tyler Johnson, who who came on last year, Scotty Miller, who's a really good uh, deep threat. So you've got four really quality receivers. Now, you can't have enough. The reason why they re-signed Antonio Brown is because both Godwin and Evans were nicked up quite a bit early in the first half of the year. I think after that Chicago game, they got nervous and – and and also Tom Brady, right? Tom Brady wanted Antonio Brown. So there's absolutely, uh, you know, a place for him in this offense. We know that. We know that those other guys have, uh, you know, enough egos to let go of to, um, you know, to know that he would cut into their production, but they want to win. They did it last year. I think they would do it again. From what I understand, uh, you know, and I don't know what his demands are from a salary standpoint. We know there's not a lot of money in the system this year because the salary cap went down. We saw that with Leonard Fournette, who absolutely thought he deserved more money than what he ultimately signed for, three and a half, four million dollars if he plays. But it's just not out there, or they would have gotten it someplace else. So I don't know that there's another market for Antonio Brown. I don't know that there's other teams looking to sign him. But if they are, they're going to wait until after the draft to see how that shakes out. And so, um, you know, there was some some contentious talks. I think at times between Brown's agent and the Bucks. I don't know where that's at right now, but I do know that it's not without look, it you you just you don't know. They're, the Bucks have said, and they've said this repeatedly, that this year of all years, because they have twenty two returning starters and they have depth at positions, some positions, um, they're not bound by any one position. Let's say that the absolute killer player, the best player they can pick, is a is a receiver. You wouldn't think there's any way you would do that. But then why would you walk away from a, a superior talent simply because you've already got guys? Remember, Chris Godwin is going to be a free agent after this year. If they can't reach a long-term agreement, they may have to franchise him again or they may lose him. Mike Evans is, has played seven seasons. And he's been remarkably consistent with all 1,000-yard seasons. But he's, he's now entering what I think his eighth season, which is hard to believe, by the way, that he's already into his eighth year. Um, you know, Scotty Miller is not – you know, your every down prototypical, you know, wide out. So it's not, you know, completely ruled out that you wouldn't take a receiver somewhere. All I'm saying is at this point, they're going to wait till they get through the draft, see how that materializes. And then, you know, if a market may develop for Antonio Brown, this works for him too. I mean, I'm sure he'd like to be on an NFL roster right now, but at this point, I think most teams are going to wait. And so the Bucks are one of those teams. I still personally believe he'll end up coming back here. That's just my personal belief. I think I don't think there's going to be a ton of options for him, and I think I think Tom Brady feels really comfortable with him, and he won a Super Bowl, and, you know, he's still got some legal problems. Let's see if he can do it two years in a row. Um, sort of like, you know, what Leonard Fournette's had to do to rehab his image. I mean, he got cut by Jacksonville because they didn't like his antics, and there was a time we talked about this over and over about him, you know, Bruce Arians asking if he wanted to be released after the Minnesota game when they made him inactive. So, you know, Leonard is trying to remove that perception. And, and you know, so another year, a full season, perhaps. Again, we don't know where the legal issues are, lie. He's got some civil suits out. But um, 
I could see I could see a place for him here. It's just it hasn't happened yet. Doesn't mean it won't happen, but I don't think he signs with anybody until after the draft. I also add in that the salary cap went down, mm-hmm. but the Bucks' expenditures on receivers has gone up tremendously this year because Chris Godwin went from a rookie level deal to a franchise tag deal. It's a great point. So now you're spending a ton of money on receivers, tight ends. A lot yeah, more you than you did last year as your cap went down. So are you really willing to spend any more than essentially a, a, a veteran yeah. minimum or very more, mm-hmm. you know, very little more than that right. on receipt on another receiver when you know you've got other needs and, and things you want to fill on your salary cap as you know the amount you're spending on receivers this year went up tremendously because Chris Godwin went from what a couple million to fifteen two, or sixteen million? Yeah, I mean, two million to sixteen. You had, yeah. uh, you know, Cameron Braid, who had taken a reduction to four four point two five a year ago, is up to six and a half million. Uh, Gronkowski resigned, eight million could make as much mm-hmm. as nine million. So, yeah, you've had increases in 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 the salaries of guys you're paying to catch passes and significant ones at that. All right, Aaron asked, why haven't they resigned Blaine Gabbert yet? Seems like an obvious move with no backup quarterback on the roster. Yeah, you know, um, this one I don't really have a great explanation for. I, I think it it probably falls somewhere in the let's wait until after the draft to deal with this because, again, let's just say for argument's sake, okay, um, that you were to draft Kyle Trask. Now, I don't – no one believes that Kyle Trask is ready to play this year, Um he might on another team. I don't really know because I, I don't know their needs. But with Tom Brady, the goal would not be to play him, you know, much, if at all, except in mop-up duties as a rookie. You know, let him sit there, absorb, learn from the GOAT, all of that stuff. And maybe in a year or two, you know, he can be your starter. Um, but it does change sort of the dynamic of the room, right? You would think the guy most affected might be Ryan Griffin. You still need a veteran quarterback to back up Tom Brady, I think, even in the event that you were to get a Kyle Trask. But I don't know. You know, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not sure how that would play out. You know, I firmly believe that this is one, this is one that seems like a no-brainer to me. Um, Gabbard has been really good, you know, in, in stepping in and winning games for Bruce Arians, whether it was in Arizona. Um, you know, so I, I think that he has a high level of confidence. I've even heard Jason Light and some others say that if something, you know, if Brady were to step aside and say, I'm done, you know, after this season, that Gabbert would actually be a consideration to be their starting quarterback. Now, that's easy to say since you don't have anybody else, you know, competing for that job, but um, that, that they really like him and like him, like him in terms of, you know, uh, comfortable with the offense, you know, throws the ball really well, physical specimen all that stuff, and and maybe he's benefited too from being around Tom Brady. So whatever they see in practice, they really, really like. Maybe he's a bridge quarterback. I don't know. But it seems – this one seems I – will, I will say this. I will be surprised if Blaine Gabbert doesn't resign. Again, part of it is there's not a lot of market out there for him. There's not an urgency on the on behalf of the Bucks. Maybe they want to see where the draft falls. Um you know, maybe they trade some picks away and don't have the salary cap demands for the draft picks as they thought they would. I mean, you just, you know, there's all kinds of reasons. I don't think Gabbard is going anywhere else. Um, you know, if there was, if they were competing for him, if he had leverage on them, I think there'd be more of an urgency to do it. But I'm sure, I'm sure they have their reasons. I don't think it's because they they don't like playing Gabbard. I think they like him in that role. I think Brady was comfortable with him, and and in the end, Brady's going to have a little bit of pull on this too. Um, but let's see. Let's see if, if if drafting a quarterback, if you did it in the first or second round, would change the dynamic at all. I, I, I'm not sure whether it would or not. All right, Joe asked, Rick, let's say the Bucks focus on a free agent quarterback in the future to replace Brady instead of the draft since they've had success from that twice. If you had to take a guess, who could you see coming to Tampa? Well, I've said this for weeks and weeks, so there, there might be certain radio people who want to claim this, but, Steve, you got the tapes. Um, what I have said is the man on Jeopardy uh, would be the perfect dude um, simply because, you know, they've already gone and, and gotten the quarterback. Ken Jennings? <laughs> yeah, Jen Jennings, quarterback of the Bucks. <laughs> they've already gone and gotten, um, you know, their, their quarterback of the future, right, in Jordan Love. The Green Bay Packers drafted Jordan Love. And when they did that, 
Aaron Rodgers was like, mm, you're not really committed to me that long term, are you? And furthermore, he was like, um, we're trying to win a Super Bowl now. My clock's ticking kind of loudly here. And you guys, instead of getting me a wide receiver or an offensive lineman or maybe a D lineman, you're you're running out here getting quarterbacks that you know you're not going to play for a couple of years at least. But it does tell me, because I was on the other end of this deal, I know how this works, right? The, the new guy is ready to push me out whether I'm ready to stop playing or not, which is one of the reasons why I think he's so interested in doing Jeopardy. Um, because, you know, how committed are the Packers to me? Um, but I, I think that, you know, they haven't added any more years to Taron Rodgers' deal. I think he has two left. Let's see, Brady has, yeah, two left. So what I would do is whether it's Aaron Rodgers or, you know, who whatever veteran quarterback that wants to move on from his current team that's good, you know, I, I think, Russell Wilson, I think I would go that route. I mean, they've won two Super Bowls and they did it with free agent quarterbacks. And the thing of it is, yes, you know, there will be probably in this draft, quarterbacks may go one, two, three, four. I mean, it's incredible, right? They're going to go one, two, three, four, because the value of that position, so hard to find a guy. Um, you have to step up and take that chance early in the draft if you're going to get somebody that's any good. You really do. Now, there is the outliers, the Russell Wilsons, the, the Tom Brady's. But if it didn't matter then everybody would just wait till the sixth round to take a quarterback. It does matter. Okay. So you're going to use high draft capital on, on, on one. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of these veterans are going to be replaced in due time. If guys are going to play longer, I think you're going to see a lot more quarterback movement. We're starting to see it already, you know, whether it's uh, Matthew Stafford getting, um, you know, dealt to the Detroit lions or Jared Goff, them giving up on him and sending him to Detroit. Uh, Stafford going to the Rams from Detroit. So, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo looks like, you know, maybe headed out at some point if the, if the San Francisco 49ers draft Mac Jones. I mean, with all this movement, do you really want to draft and develop a guy unless he's the guy? Unless you unless you had the first pick in the draft or the second pick in the draft and you like the guy better than the guy that's going number one overall, do you even want to be in that conversation? Are you better off, you know, here's a, here's a guy who has a proven winner or here's a guy who has gone through all the heartache and all the bumps and bruises, and now that he knows what he's doing and he's still got some physical ability, you know, I'll let him get his on-the-job training someplace else and bring him and surround him with a great football team. My focus will be on building the best football team I can to attract the Tom Brady's and the Aaron Rodgers you know, of, down the road. And that might be what you see as much as you see teams clamoring to try to get up you know, to, to get the, the hottest flavor of the year uh, in college football. So – uh, yeah, I'm, I have I have said this before. I'm going to continue on with it from Green Bay to Tampa Bay. Aaron Rodgers, and I really think you know Brady has has changed the way these these guys have understood their power. They've understood that they're you don't have to play for one team your entire career. Um, they've understood that uh, they have some ability if they can if they can you know find their way to free agency and not just keep re-signing contracts. But with with you know with Aaron Rodgers. Why would you sign another one? I mean, you've got, you know, they drafted a guy to replace you. So I would think at this point, you're going to play out your deal and, and, uh, you know, pick the best place you can. So I, I really, in, in, in the future, you're going to read stories about this, but I really think that, that, you know, more and more, and, and look at the Bucks history. I mean, how many first round picks have they used on quarterbacks and, you know, or the Cleveland Browns, you know, who finally may have found one in Baker Mayfield, but nonetheless, you know, how much draft capital are you going to spend, whether it's, you know, of course, Doug Williams was here, but then where did he win a Super Bowl? Wasn't in Tampa, took his lumps in Tampa, came off the bench, won a Super Bowl with the Washington Redskins. Steve Young took his tunnel ups in Tampa, sat behind Joe Montana for a couple of years, uh, a couple, three, four years, then became NFL MVP um, and a Super Bowl champion. You know, Benny Testaverde failed here. And had a 20-year career and went to the AFC Championship game with with other teams. Had a, had a pretty good career. So, you know, the Bucks have been through this. We'll see if Jameis Winston is the latest example of that. Now that he's with the Saints, he went through his lumps. He had five years with Jameis Winston, never really got any better in terms of protecting the football. And so, you know, what was that all about? What were those? How, you know, where does Levante David go to get those five years back while you were trying to train a quarterback? Um, it just, it's just hard to do. It's hard to draft and develop a guy because you have to be a bad football team to get the top guys in the draft. 
And who wants to go through that again? So maybe you just focus on getting the best players you can and staying competitive on defense and on offense, and then hopefully you can attract those guys. I will switch to baseball here, and Carl asks, Rick, is Kevin Padlow just keeping the bench open for Wander Franco? I mean, it's supposed to be a long-term salary thing, right? Yeah, I, you know, first of all, I had to look up who Kevin Padlow was. I, I couldn't believe he was playing third base the other day. I wasn't really that familiar with him, but in uh, reading his numbers, you were reading them to me before this podcast. It seems that he has a little bit of pop. He spent most of his time in Double A. Spent some time in Durham in 2019. Of course, last year um, you had the taxi squad. You didn't really have minor league baseball, so he's kind of lost some some time. But um, when I watched him play. Made some good defensive plays. He started a double play that was key to get them out of an inning on Sunday out of a jam with the Yankees, but uh, batted ninth, was overmatched in my opinion. Now, a lot of guys are overmatched with Adrolis Chapman, but I'm talking about just a good Major League fastball. He seemed to be behind everything, and maybe that's because he hasn't faced Major League p- pitching very much, or maybe you know it's not the same down there on the taxi squad as it is trying to play for the race. But for whatever reason, I think he struck out three times on Sunday. Um, did not look all that good. So, you know, as far as Franco goes, you know, again, didn't play at all last year. We know he's the number one prospect in baseball. There's no question he can help them. The question is when, if you're the Rays, you've done this before with Longoria and others, you want to maintain control of, of him as long as you can and also not rush him so that, you know, when he does come up, uh, he knows he's here for the duration, and furthermore, you're pretty confident that that he's going to excel. You know that he's um, not only going to handle major league pitching, but he's going to be able to thrive and stay here. You don't want a, a situation where he goes up and down and, and shatter the guy's confidence. So there's so many expectations around Wander Franco. I think he's one of these rare guys that could play right now and and probably handle it just fine. And I, my guess is, with injuries and things that are occurred, look at what's happened already. Um, you know, that you may see him up here sooner than later. But I do think it has a lot to do with, you know, trying to maximize uh, the amount of time that you have in control of his contract. And, you know, when you're that great of a player and you're that, you know, you're the number one minor league player in baseball, why why rush him, right? Why, why not be sure uh, that when he gets here, he's going to be able to handle everything on and well, off the field? So. Well, let's not forget about Wander Frank. You mentioned Kevin Padlow and, you know, missing a year with the alternate site last year and, and, and then mm-hmm. Wander Franco hasn't played above single A. Right. He hasn't this even played can. in double A yet. And and I think that's that, right. I think look, do I do I believe that some of why Wander's not here is financial? Probably. But I really think it's more about getting him I mean, you know, he went to the 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 Dominican League and he played five games and got hurt. Yeah. So I mean he really hasn't played games in two years. He hasn't yeah. played above single A yet. Right. I think they'd like to get him in some minor league games with double Agreed. A, triple A, whatever. Agree. And it's it's about setting him up for success. And, and, and is some of it financial? Probably. But I really believe, more importantly, it's about the worst thing you want to do is have him come up and, and not succeed because he wasn't ready. Whether it's because he hasn't played a game in two years, whether it's because he just hasn't faced good enough pitching in his career yet, because he's only been at the single A level, not even yeah. double or triple A. But just the mental grind of being a professional, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're playing mm-hmm. every day. And he, like to your point, let's see how he handles playing every day down down in double A and then triple A and, mm-hmm. and see how yeah. he handles that. Had there been a normal year last year and with if we would have had minor league baseball and he was playing and presumably he was going to start in double A with the plan to move him to triple A when he was ready, maybe he would have got a, a late call up September or maybe even beforehand in the big leagues, depending on how he did. Would he have been on this roster this year? There's a good chance of it. But because of the lost year last year and, and everything that's gone on, it, 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 while he's the number one prospect in baseball and most people think he'll hit fine in the big leagues, and his defense still is it's okay, it's not great. That's something they want him to work on too. You know, We talk about this team needs good defense. Well, putting Wander Franker in your infield isn't going to improve your defense. He's not better than Willie Adamas. He's not better than Brendan Lau. Not better than what Kevin Padlow did, you know, yesterday. So, you know, there's that part of it, too. And, and not that that's going to be the reason. I mean, you know, if he's brought up here, it's because of his bat. But let's let's see him get some minor league, some more minor league time in to make sure he's ready for it. So he doesn't come up here and and, and not have some success or not have a chance to succeed because he's not ready for it. And I, I, the Rays are pretty good about 
putting guys in positions to succeed, not just call him up because it's, you know, he's got a great name or, you know, he's a top prospect. We, we want, we want them to come up and have some success so that it, it propels them for more success in their future. Yeah, I think you're, I think you nailed it. I think for all those reasons, that's why we're not seeing him. Yes, there's a financial component, but he's just, just a very young player. And because of the pandemic lost a whole year of minor league baseball and that didn't benefit him or anybody else. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So Jake asks, my bailback question is, do you think Ross Colton could play first base for the Rays? <laughs> no. The question is, could he play it better than than, than Yoshi Sugo? <laughs> this is a question, and the answer is probably yeah. Um, first of all, and somebody else suggested this smarter than me. We should now we should now call him Ross Golton, don't you think? Yes. Thanks How about Ross game winning Golton? Ross Golton, if you need him. Uh, yeah, I think Ross Golton uh, is a good name, or Ross game winning Golton. Uh, definitely, he should uh, he could play first base. I, look, I. You know, the Rays, it's funny. If you go back through Rays, you know, history, the the one thing they for for whatever reason, they've been very uh adept at finding really good defensive first basemen. Like, you know, Carlos Peña obviously did a nice job. Even Casey Kotsman for a few years, you know, you've had a number of Logan guys Morrison that could play was first. pretty good there. Morrison was good. And then, you know, and then even last year, like I did not expect, you know. Um, that G-Man Choi was going to become a defensive specialist the way he, you know, he surprised everybody. He really did with with his his athletic ability, um, the ability to stretch. He's got soft hands. He picked a lot of a lot of baseballs. He saved William Thomas a lot of times. Um, he was really a, a nimble first baseman. He has great feet, even for a big man. And they miss his glove. I mean, forget about his bat, which is, you know, pretty good. They really miss his glove, mm-hmm. and and now so now you've got four first basemen, which means you have none. Um, look, if 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 Yoshi can't hit, if he does not hit major league pitching soon and consistently, um, you you know you're down to DH in him. He's a liability at first. They put him in the game late the other day because they wanted to pitch in him against the left against the right hander, uh, and and so they took Brasso out. But you know, putting him in a in a baseball game late in the game, and and frankly. You know, they they had a double play. I thought that they were able, would have been able to turn. It was a it was a throw that long hopped him, and he sort of misplayed it, and and it went off his glove. And the guy was safe at first. Now, fortunately, you know they they ended up uh, getting a guy you know in a rundown, and, and uh, you know to get it out there um, when the runner with Gardner Brett Gardner advanced to third, but that could have cost them. He he just he's not he's not very good. Like he's probably their worst first baseman, I think. And I don't know, you know, when you when you're built. For pitching and defense, right? Can you think of many positions on the field that's more valuable than first base? I mean, shortstop, sure, um, center field, catcher, I get it. But I mean, that guy's handling a lot of throws over there, and mm-hmm. you need him to bail out your infielders quite often. And you know, I I just don't think he's able to do it. So if he's not going to hit, now you're limited to a left-handed DH. I just don't know how he's going to stay at the major league level. Um, you know, the way, the way he's going right now, but well, his bat and while he's not hitting for a good average at this point, his velocity and the percentage of hard hit balls, you know, all the stuff, the analytics, the advanced analytics look at look pretty good for Yoshi. Right. Right. Um, He's not having a lot of luck with it at this point. Mm -hmm. And generally you assume that's going to turn around when you're hitting the ball as hard as he is, as often as he is. Um, you know, you're expecting him to, to bat better than he's doing. And that's what that's what the Rays are hopeful. That's why they keep putting him high in the lineup is his analytics look pretty good. It's just not hasn't converted to the, the full success yet. But defensively, yes, he is a liability. Yeah. And, you know, I'll leave the analytics to them and all of that hard hit balls. Mm, I know one thing uh, they got him batting leadoff, which is curious to me. We know he doesn't run well. 
what he does do is take a lot of pitches. He sees a lot of pitches. Mm-hmm. He has a pretty good eye. So, you know, from that standpoint, I understand why he's up there because, again, his on-base percentage, you know, he sets the table. He's not going to swing at bad pitches. But, man, he's off to another rough start. And, again, you know, last year, pandemic, new country, new league, all that stuff, you got to give him time to adjust. We've seen these guys, you know, struggle. And and uh, doesn't mean that, you know, doesn't mean he won't come around. But yeah, they absolutely need a better first baseman. I, I would agree with that. So let's ask San Diego threw their first no hitter as a franchise and it got him to thinking the way the Rays handle their pitchers. Do you think there's a chance the Rays philosophy would ever allow a pitcher to get a no hitter? Rarely, rarely do they allow a pitcher out of the seventh. Uh, It's a great question. I mean, so if Blake Snell had been throwing a no hitter in the world series would Kevin cash had taken out, um, you might see a combined no hitter. I think that's that's a rain shortened one. Although I don't think that counts as a no hitter anymore. But does a seven inning does it does a double header does a seven inning? Well, no I was thinking count? you know on the road and you pitch you know six yeah, innings. And yeah, they call, they the call it official game. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. How about if it were you know they're still are they still playing seven inning double headers if we get to that? They part? are. They are. Yes. So I would think that you might get credit for a, for a no hitter if you go seven uh, complete. I don't. I don't know the rules on that. That's an interesting question. I have to ask. I have to find that out. Look, it's unlikely, right, because especially this time of year, if it happens, it's going to be when these guys, you know, have built up their innings. They haven't done that so far. But, but, but- I wonder, and, and, you know, go back to opening day when Glass now actually got to take, face a batter for the third time, mm-hmm. which Blake Snell did not in the World Series. Right. And you wonder if maybe they've changed their philosophy a little. Now, granted, it was one batter and it was opening day. And, and maybe you wanted your reliever to start with a clean inning instead of, you know, coming in. With, with a you know just to face one batter but you wonder if their philosophy hasn't changed a little bit where you know what if a guy is truly dealing maybe we will leave him in a little longer now i think at that point you're gonna have to be very pitch efficient because there will be a pitch limit for sure on guys you know so if you're if you're at you know 98 pitches in the seventh you're probably not going to get finish a no hitter but if you're at 75 pitches in the seventh maybe 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 they've if Tyler Glass now is that efficient one game. Maybe he does get a shot at it. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if the Rays have. I don't want to say change their mindset because I think they're still very committed to their numbers and stuff. But when you see a guy like Blake Snell in the World Series or Glass now on Opening Day and how well they were dealing, maybe you let them ride that out through the third time through the order. You know, I, I don't know that. That's just a speculation on my part, but. Going, maybe we should, you know, when they're, they're going that good, not just, you know, well, they're getting through, but, you know, I mean, you know, that may have been the best game Blake Snell ever pitched in the World Series game. I mean, you know, there's so the many, there, there's so many variables with the no hitter. Um, and I think the biggest one is how many pitches has it taken him, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I think, was I right about this? And this is going back years. I think Ed Jackson threw a no hitter for the Rays. And he may have walked like eight guys. <laughs> so, well, Nolan Ryan's uh, no hitters, and he's got seven of them. There was a lot of walks in those no hitters. Oh I mean, yeah, he, he wasn't close to perfect games in those. And so, I think the pitch count has become such a big thing, right? With with uh, with not just the Rays, but with everybody in baseball. That I I I question whether you would you know risk a guy missing a start or two because he you know he threw mm-hmm. 135 pitches through a no hit. I just don't know that. You know, if he's a strikeout guy, you know, is if he is he getting quick outs? Is he is he striking everybody out? Is he going, you know, throwing, you know, seventeen pitches an inning or twenty pitches an inning? I mean, so much of that, all of that matters, right? So, mm-hmm. with the Rays, with the way baseball is these days, I I think it's very unlikely you're going to see a, a no hitter. Now, watch somebody will pitch one tonight, a no hitter <laughs> for the Rays. Mark the tape. I said it. You're not going to see a no hitter, particularly with Kevin Cash at manager. <laughs> There you go. There you have it. All right. Brian wrote, says, coming into the season, the common narrative was the NL East is the most challenging division. However, and it's only a week into the season, but is it possible the AL East could end up being just as challenging as Boston and Baltimore are looking far more competitive than expected this season? Competitive against each other. You know, I think that's the thing, right? I mean, um, and I can't explain why the Rays played so poorly in Boston because they had played so great up there the last year or so. Um but they surely did not play well, and they got swept. Baltimore, however, swept the Red Sox, right? So, I mean, we don't really know. It's 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 still, to me, it's too early to know. I, I, I wouldn't change 
the long-term forecast, I still think it's going to be the Yankees, the Rays, and Toronto in some order, you know? And I think all all those teams are also going to beat up on each other. So record-wise, you may not see, um, you know, a ton of teams win 95 games in this division. But, um, you know, I also don't think that, that we're going to be stunned by, you know, a sudden, you know, AL champion Baltimore Orioles or Red Sox team either, um, or AL East champion. So I, I, I think in the long, I think people have it about right. You know, I, I don't think the AL East in my mind anyway, Steve, you may just disagree, but I don't think Baltimore and the Red Sox are what they have been. I mean, look, when the Red Sox and the Yankees were going back to back and winning world series and competing in the championships and the Rays were trying to, to elbow their way in there. Um, and Toronto was still formidable. You know that that this division has been better than it is even right now. But I think with the ascension of Toronto, those young hitters, I don't think their pitching is quite there yet. Um, they gave up like 15 runs the other day to the Angels. Uh, but I do, I I do think that they're a team that's on the rise. Uh, and look, you know, and, you know, maybe somebody will surprise us. But don't you think it's going to be Yankees, Rays, in, in Toronto in some order there? I do. I, I agree with you. But if Boston and Baltimore do continue to play better than we expect, mm-hmm. then maybe this will be the toughest division. Well, I we'll mean, see. Yeah. If, if they're ahead of where we think they were going into right. the season. Sure. Um, yeah, I still think it's Yankees and Rays and, and the Blue Jays to battle it out for the top. Um, the curious thing will be, will any wild cards come out of this mm. division? Because if Baltimore and Boston are both better, they're going to knock each other off. You know, how yeah. many wins will the second place team have compared point. to, you know, second place and third place teams in, in the other divisions in the, well, yeah, so. yeah, exactly. And you look at, you know, you could have a couple teams from the central or from the ALOS or, you know, mm-hmm. yep. um, that sort of thing with, with, with that win more than 90 games and everybody may be knocking each other off and maybe Baltimore and, and Boston, if nothing else does just that, maybe you have to win the division this year in mm-hmm. the AL East to get in. And that's, yep. that's something the Rays have to consider. You know, they, they, they obviously, you know, would like to make the playoffs any way they can, but they may, they may want to, uh, you know, understand that uh, those teams are better. You're not going to dominate them the way you once did. And, and um, by the same token, they, it's nice to know that, you know, I don't know how many times the Yankees beat up on Baltimore or the Rays for that matter, but it's nice to know that when the Yankees go into Boston or the Yankees go into Baltimore, they could lose a couple of games, you know, but so could you. So, um, yeah, it's going to be something to watch. All right, Brian wrote us and said, Lightning have traded for even more defensive depth. Do you see the more recent flurry of moves simply related to being close to the deadline and was always the plan, or was the defensive addition spurred by the recent slump the Bolts had? Um, well, look, you can't have enough depth at any position, but particularly on defense, they had some injuries. Um, they struggled a little bit, I think on the defensive side, you know, uh, I, I think it was an opportunity. They, they've got, you know, immense salary cap issues. Julian Breezeball was able to, to sort of navigate that using a third team, using the you know Detroit Red Wings to take on some salary and things. Uh, I, they did this last year. They made a similar move last year to help on defense, and it worked. And it, it certainly, you know, helped spur them to a Stanley Cup. I think what you have to consider is, you know, forgetting who your top defensive lineman. We saw them lose some people, and the defense just wasn't as good. So, you know, can you ever have enough depth? Um, do you know where your injuries are going to hurt you the most? And I just think that they, they like we, you said earlier, um, this team recognizes the window is there now. Um, you know, they're trying to defend the Stanley Cup. They have the core of their team back together. They may get Kucherov for the playoffs. This is the time to go for it. You know, they're maxed out from a cap standpoint. I, I just think it's a smart move. I mean, you, you, you know this team, Steve. I mean, why, why else would they do it? Well, I, I don't think this was the plan all along because, quite frankly, they came into the year with no salary cap space. And they've had to play a few games short a player because of salary cap implications. That I don't think it was their plan all along to go at the trade deadline and add defensemen. Now, that being said, Julian Breezeball is always looking to how can I better the team? And if you, if you want to identify the biggest weakness on this Lightning team, it was right-handed shot defensemen and your defensive depth overall. Compared to last year when you had nine veteran players, you know, that with significant NHL experience on your blue line, 
this year you had significantly less numbers of that and games when you look at Ben Thomas and Cal Foot and how few games they've played as this is their first year. So, well, I don't think it was the plan all along because there was no guarantee, you know, and Julian Breeswell talked about this on Saturday. There was no guarantee you could get this deal done. I mean, you had to get a third team in there, Detroit, to take 25% of the salary. And meanwhile, Columbus to, to take 50% of a salary just to make this deal work. Um, that's not easy to do. Um, you know, so you had to you had to find teams that would play ball with you and were willing to, you know, you know, essentially eat some salary for draft picks so that you could make this deal happen with your salary cap situation this year, with mm-hmm. the amount of guys you have in long-term injury relief, et cetera. So I well, I don't think it was a plan, but I, I think, you know, Julian Breesbaugh's plan is always if I can make a move. And he specifically talked about Savard, who they targeted and and felt was the best defenseman to fit their team, much like he said the same thing about Goodrow and Coleman last year. They targeted him, and and he said, look, if I have a chance to get Savard, and I don't, and we go to the Stanley Cup playoffs, and we fail to win the Cup, and it was because we didn't have enough depth on that right side, I, I, I would have trouble sleeping at night, or I'm paraphrasing there, but, you know, that would bother him. And so he was able to find some partners, you know, Columbus to trade them and then Detroit to come into the deal to eat some of the salary and gave them a draft pick as well. You know, he said, uh, you know, I, I had to, I owe it to this team. This team has given so much, particularly the last year, I owed it to them to make this deal happen. The adding Clayson on Monday, I think was just looking for more depth and was able to make a deal for a, a prospect that either you don't need any more or you're just willing to give up to add more depth. I, I think that was more of an opportunity. I, if, if, if there wasn't a depth defenseman available that they could have done that with, then they don't make a move on, on Monday. I think it was probably just, you know, Hey, here was a guy that was available sitting on a taxi squad of another team. That's got over a hundred games of NHL experience. We'd like to bring him in to be a taxi squad member for us and, and add more depth on that blue line. Yeah. Well, Look, it worked for them a year ago. They got the cup. They're trying to keep it. So you know, you got to love that uh, the Breeze Ball is going for it. Same as the Bucks. You know, they mm-hmm. they they see the opportunity, and it's all about championships. Yep. And Brian wrote us one more question. We'll end on this. He says, "Does the first major spring storm hitting Tampa Bay the same weekend as a rescheduled WrestleMania add to the Tampa not being able to have nice things mantra?" <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. That WrestleMania went off as planned. It did. So. I would have to say that's not a uh, that's not a contributing factor. I think we can't that we ha- we can't have nice things except during a pandemic. Might be the addendum to it, but um, the fact that fans couldn't go to see the Lightning or see you know World Series games unless you went to Texas or certainly you know not that many got to see the Bucks in the Super Bowl. To me, that's the most Tampa thing ever and will be in 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 the sports history of, of Tampa Bay. But. Uh, I was, you know, not watching WrestleMania, but I, I was reading it on social media what was going on. Seems like the place was still packed. A great time was had by all. They had two nights of it. Saturday was a little dicey because I was driving home from the beach and it was mm-hmm. a it was a hurricane. I mean it was <laughs> I mean, I saw shelf clouds like you've never seen before rolling in off the golf, man. It was scary. They were moving furniture on the balcony of the condo I was at. But uh you know what? The show went on and hey, credit to uh you know, to Rob Higgins, all those guys. I mean, the, the set was incredible. And, and you know the, what they built there for WrestleMania. We forget that this is this was you know this is a such a huge event, right? Like there were mm-hmm. people in town. I can't tell you how many hotels were full. I think everybody was staying on the beach, by the way, because it took me forever in traffic to get anywhere on two seventy five. Um, I, I I just it was. I mean, last weekend was nuts, and it had to have something to do or a lot to do with WrestleMania. And, um, but yeah, the show went on. So no, that is a disc that's erroneous. That's a disqualifier. That is not part of the, we can't have nice things mantra. Now getting WrestleMania canceled during the pandemic, that was part of the, we can't have nice things (laughs) as, as was the NCAA basketball tournament Mm -hmm. and all that. So, um, but yeah, them coming back. Nah, man, no, it's, it's Champa Bay. It is Champa Bay. So we're still riding that wave a little bit until, until or unless the Rays or the Bolts or, or the Bucks, you know, don't uh, don't make it back. But I think they're all I think they're all still contending at this point. 
All right, thanks for your questions. Those are 100% guaranteed correct answers to them, by the way. Uh, tonight, the Lightning are at the Predators for their second game there, uh, and uh, we'll see David Savard, their new defenseman, in action as well. The Rays continue their series against the Texans, which will be fun at the Trop to see if they can uh, win another series. And we're going to have Tom Jones, my uh, former radio partner, longtime columnist of the Tampa Bay Times. You can read his newsletter on pointer.org. He will be with us uh, a couple of podcasts as well as he is each and every week. So thanks for the questions. For Steve Burstink, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.